Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I am Amy Bird, and I am here today with my usual bald and the beautiful <laughs> podcasts mm-hmm. co-hosts, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. He's and the bald. He's the bald. <laughs> Balding. 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 There's a difference. And Carl Truman, professor AKA at Grove City College, mm. another balding. Mm-hmm. I think you're with Not the beautiful, beautiful AKA Amy Bird. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, you're definitely easier to look at than either <laughs> Carl or I, or Carl and I even combined. So that Not is true. a hard competition. <laughs> That's, true. But That's true. I'm going to give Amy the greatest I'll compliment the she's title. ever had. She is better looking than me. No, there I'm you go, Amy. Say that the people who admire us, Todd, yeah. are more discerning. Should we say? <laughs> They're not taken in by the outward superficiality. They, they, they love Carl and I for our minds. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. And our personality. Our personality. Our personality. And, and rapier wit. Rapier wit. Rapier wit. Yes. Oh, boy. You guys Modesty. know how to make yourselves feel good after I say <laughs> Well, speaking of your minds. Yes. Um, so, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals mm-hmm. and PNR Publishers mm-hmm. and your church, Covenant Presbyterian, mm-hmm. are kind of collaborating together for this Blue Ridge Conference. This is your second, second one, right? Second one. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have this on, you're going to host this on March 29th and 30th. Yes. And it is, um, what is the title? Is Gender, Sexuality, and What It Means to Be Human. Yes. Yes. So I wanted to, you know, talk Uh about that today and maybe kick it off by just Mm -hmm. asking you, uh, what made you want to address this Mm -hmm. topic? Well, we're looking forward to, um, to the weekend. Amy, you were with us in our, in our first Blue Ridge uh, Bible Conference that we did uh, two years ago. Our hope is to to do this every other year, and obviously, this is a, a really pressing issue. This issue of gender and sexuality. It's a a pressing issue in my denomination, the PCA. I, I wish it was not pressing in the way that it is pressing. In other words, we're having to address this in the PCA because there's a, a real sharp disagreement um, in our denomination over the issue of same-sex attraction, the, the, the moral status, I guess, of, of same-sex attraction, um, the use of, uh, you know, gay Christian lingo, and, and even some questions about gender and how we, we understand, understand ourselves as people uh, created by God and, and what all that says about our identity. Um, I will say this, that, you know, the controversy in, in the PCA is not over homosexual activity, I guess, you could refer to it. In other words, I'm not aware of any um, elders in the PCA that are pushing for a normalization of um, homosexual activity. The The debate is over what goes back behind that, which is how do we think about ourselves as persons? How do we think about gender and how do we think about the moral status of our attractions, um, specifically same-sex attraction? And one of the reasons this is so important is because no church or denomination goes from a full-on affirmation of biblical sexual ethics to the next day 
full-on embrace of homosexuality. It doesn't happen like that. It, it comes along one compromise at a time. And, and typically, if you'll trace these things, you'll see how it works is that it, there's, there's, first of all, an embrace of homosexuality or gayness as an identity. And so we'll, we'll, we'll acknowledge that this is a, a given identity, a part of your, your creatureliness, the, this same-sex attraction you have. And there's nothing inherently immoral or sinful about it. But you, you have to stop short of the activity. And that's what's going on right now. But the problem is, first of all, in a theological sense, I, I would register a strong disagreement with that position, that there's nothing inherently problematic with a, a, a same-sex attraction. But, but then, in a pragmatic sense, that's how you get to ultimately affirming homosexuality. Because what happens is, is that once we say, this is who you are, and we agree with you that this is who you are, at some point it becomes, in our minds, pastorally cruel to tell you you cannot live in accordance with the identity that we've agreed that you have. And, and that's how so many churches have come to embrace um, homosexual relationships. And, and so there's a lot of us in the PCA that are very, very concerned. We don't want to go that direction. And so we, we want to get behind the issue and say, let's talk about what it means to be gendered persons. Let's talk about what it means to be male and female in the image of God. And let's talk about um, uh, the, the moral status of, of homosexual attraction. Um, how, how do we think about issues like concupiscence and, you know, how do we respond to, you know, the, the now infamous revoice conference that happened at a PCA church in St. Louis? So we want to address those things and hopefully equip God's people um, with some good biblical foundation for that. Okay, so, so yeah. you're a speaker. You're going to be speaking on a better story, I see, yeah. from the lineup here. Yeah. And Carl is a speaker. Yes. Carl, how do you come up with this title? Plastic People in a Liquid World. That sounds very intriguing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a way of trying to get people to come to the conference, I suppose. On, <laughs> on level. Uh, it, it, it touches on, on some concerns or some ideas I've been toying around with in, in the book that I'm, I'm currently writing. On, on human personhood. And that's to try to draw together two related and important aspects of the, the current situation. One of them is that we live at a time where expressive individualism is the dominant way of thinking about who we are. What does that mean? It, essentially, it means that we should be allowed to express outwardly that which we feel we are inwardly. Transgenderism would be a great example of this, where if you feel that you're inwardly a woman, you should be able to give outward expression to that. So that's where the plastic people side okay. of that equation comes. The, uh, the liquid times, uh, liquid world idea is we, we also live in a world, and, and these two things are not unrelated. We live in a world where uh, traditional institutions, traditional values, uh, everything is, is always in flux and changing. And the, the typical things that, that we might have looked for in the past to provide some kind of continuity, some sort of point of reference whereby we might be able to identify ourselves, understand ourselves to be. These things are changing dramatically. Simple example, every time I travel back to the UK and I pass through London, the skyline changes. The London that I knew when, when I was small, used to visit as a kid, has, has gone. It's changed. The world is dramatically changing in ways that previous generations would, have, would not have known. Institutions dissolve before our eyes. The standard markers that, that preserve 
culture, if you like, from one generation to the next. These things are collapsing or being transformed uh, before our very eyes. And that plays into and reinforces this idea that, that we can be whoever we want to be, that we can constantly reinvent ourselves. Mm-hmm. So in my two talks, what I'm trying to get at are, are two parts of the, the puzzle in terms of understanding why we think about ourselves the way we do. Todd's already referred to the issue of gay identity. Homosexuality has not always been an identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, homosexuality for the longest time was something people did. It mm-hmm. wasn't something they actually are. And yet now we take it as given mm-hmm. that our sexual desires and preferences are foundationally determinative of our identity. At it's young a, ages. Yes, right, it's a right. sexual psychological move. Well, that only occurs in a certain kind of world where the inner psychological world is given a priority that it's never really had before in human history. So I want to try to get at that, partly because I think that questions about the legitimacy and the otherwise of, of homosexuality have to be addressed in the broader context of what it means to be a human being. Yeah. The reason why the sexual revolution is happening so fast at this particular point in time is that its roots are very, very deep historically. And what we're now seeing is, is culture being overturned in the light of what's been going on for two or three hundred years. Mm-hmm. Sexual politics is simply a symptom of a much deeper change in, in culture, society, and the understanding of the self. Yeah, that's good. And that's, that's precisely uh, in terms of, you know, what I talked about, getting behind the issue and, and talking about why we're having the conversations we're having and why is, is the confusion. You could sort of frame it this way. If, if gay Christian is legitimate as an identity, so is straight Christian. Right. And yet I don't think of myself as a straight Christian. Right. Yeah. right. No, my straightness for me. Right doesn't seem to be a foundational part of my identity. Now, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ lobby would press back and say, well, that's because you live in a heteronormative world. Right. You know, well, right. Set that aside for a question. Do we want a world where Christians are dividing up their identities along the lines of, of sexuality? I think that's right. the world's way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That's not the Bible's right. way right. of thinking. And we need to, to realize that the debate about gayness as, as Todd has pointed out again, is not just a debate about behavior. Right. It's a debate about identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that makes it very, very important indeed. Right. And that's part of my discomfort with, you know, the, uh, the categories of sexual orientation. You know, we, we almost kind of have to use the language now because it's been forced on us. But part of the problem with the, the, the just, uh, accepting as a matter of fact that there are various quote sexual orientations what that ends up yielding is that you know to carl's point um, my quote straightness or heterosexuality is just one option among many and and so therefore the, the the one who struggles with what what paul would describe as unnatural desires um, instead of looking at that through the lens of scripture and, and and dealing with it in terms of sin and sanctification looks at it now as, well, to use Nate Collins, who's the, the main organizer of Revoice, he talks about his gayness as being his given identity. And that's extremely problematic for a Christian to talk like that. Yeah, so Carl's going to do two addresses on that topic. I'm really looking forward to, yeah. to hearing them. Um, 
And then you also have Tim Geiger, president Tim Geiger. of Harvest USA, mm -hmm. who will be giving two talks, one on mm -hmm. the biblical view of sex, sexuality, and gender. And then I see uh, you have that poor man addressing the topic, can you be a gay Christian? Right, right. <laughs> give that right. to Tim. Exactly, to exactly. <laughs> and, and Tim's going to be great. If, if anybody's ever heard Tim speak before, he does a great job. And Harvest USA is an excellent excellent ministry we we make uh, a lot of use of their wonderful material at our church you know again this is not just a for, for the three of us um this is not just an academic exercise all three of us have people um who we care about people in our churches who who struggle with this and it's it's a it's a a matter of these are brothers and sisters of ours that we care about and and we want to walk with them in holiness and mm -hmm. and help them and so tim does such a great job of of kind of helping to trace out the, the pastoral implications of this and 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 helping people confront some of these things that are now just accepted as givens mm -hmm. and help kind of draw them back to scripture and so he's going to do a really good job of that Th these topics are right in his wheelhouse and so I'm really looking forward to him. Yeah, and I, it's important, I think, as you're talking about the language that we use, um, and then we have our own Christian language, you know, our own Christian language that we add to some of this, but then there's this, the secular sexual revolution mm -hmm. language as well. And, you know, I see my children having to navigate between right. that a lot, yep. um, especially, you know, they're in the public schools. My, mm -hmm. my daughter has now had two close girlfriends come out right and how to handle all that and then whether or not they're a christian mm -hmm. also i mean it doesn't change the way that you view them but right. um the way that you can approach things with them in conversation right. and how mm -hmm. to how to love them well and how to see them right. as to mm -hmm. see their lostness there as, as unbelievers mm -hmm. too struggling with this exactly and one of the things that we want to try to accomplish i mean the the, the main audience we're addressing for this conference are our believers, although we're praying that some unbelievers will come and we're, we're praying that some people will come mm -hmm. um, uh, who disagree with us on this, um, who won't hold up any banners in the middle of Carl's address or anything, <laughs> but, but we'll be there to help. But our main, our, our main hope is to, first of all, equip Christians to know how to think about this and then to know how to talk with people about about this because yeah, you know that's, uh, we need that yeah and amy you know you mentioned our kids our, our mm -hmm. kids have been raised in a culture that has no category that this might be wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, that this might be um problematic and so when they hear people say you know what this is a sin um they've been trained to think well you're just like uh, jim crow era alabamans um who who hate mm -hmm. Uh, black yeah. people yeah. and and they they don't they don't understand how to navigate that and so so you know carl's going to give two addresses tim's going to give two addresses my one address is going to be to try to explain why it's a good thing that the bible has placed these particular boundaries around our, our sexual behavior i mean i was raised being taught that homosexuality was wrong i can't remember ever being taught why the bible tells us that it's wrong and the bible does tell us you just have to do a little bit of work in your reading and, and you have to, to, to do some systematic theology as you're doing your biblical exegesis. And, and, and the answers really are very much there. The problem is the story that we tell as Christians from the Bible is a harder story to tell. It takes more time. It requires real thought. You've got to process information and then you've got to submit to a voice of authority that comes from outside of you. And all of those things, the, the world abhors. So the world abhors an, out, an outside voice of authority, and the world abhors complex thinking, mm -hmm. 
And so it's no wonder that so many of our kids have jettisoned the faith over this issue because the world tells an exceedingly easy story. It's compelling, but it's easy. I mean, it's as easy as saying, I should be able to love who I want to love. And, and you'll have 19 and, you know, 18, 19, and 20 year olds who were raised in Christian homes who meet a homosexual and they say, I should be able to love who I want to love. And it takes that quick of a time for them to jettison everything they were taught all of their life. Yeah. And so what, what, what I want to try to call, I'm, I'm just going to do some real basic exegesis from, from Genesis 1 and 2 primarily, establishing kind of the, um, uh, the, the telos or the purpose, the, the direction of being created gendered persons and what marriage is for um, and what sex is for. And, and in that, of course, you also deal with what God is like and how, and how these sexual boundaries are consistent with what he is like and what he's created us to be like. So hopefully, you know, those things are going to come together to really help equip God's people. I'm hoping that those who are struggling there will be um, helped. We, we want to be pastorally sensitive. We also want to be very clear because clarity is really, really needed on, on this issue right now. It also yeah. makes me think of the distinction between where our desires are ultimately oriented as you're talking kind of eschatological there mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. i'm even thinking a little bit about uh we had um mike allen on with his book grounded in heaven mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um you know our ultimate aim to see the face of christ you know mm -hmm. that's where our true desires are mm -hmm. all going towards mm -hmm. and and in the world's view of sexuality and desire Mm -hmm. It's just met within ourselves. The yeah. end yeah. of it is just our own pleasure. Yeah, yeah. it makes sex ultimate. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because there was a New York Times article at the weekend interviewing a, a bunch of gay Roman Catholic priests, some of whom were named, some of whom remained anonymous, all of whom were lamenting the fact that they were unable to be open about their, their gayness as priests, mm -hmm. yeah. which you know, one of the reactions provoked for me was so – did they not realize that priests are meant to be celibate? Right. <laughs> were, were, they ab were they absent when that class was <laughs> Because part of me is reading that, and it goes back to the point I made earlier on about identity, and that is, but a heterosexual priest is subject to precisely the same. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of sort of avenues of critique one could offer, but one of them, I think, is the one that Amy's just said, and that's, is it odd that for these guys whose business is supposed to be heaven, mm -hmm. they're ultimate identity seems to be grounded in whether or not they're able to have sex with other right. men. Right. It was a deeply strange article mm -hmm. from that perspective in that yeah. the last people in this world who should be complaining they can't have sex are men who've taken voluntary vows. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, it, but it speaks of how yeah. that idea that if you're not sexually active, if you're not able to give expression to mm -hmm. your individuality in terms of sexual activity, mm -hmm. then you're not really a human being. And that right. speaks of ultimate loves, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you read the, uh, the things from, from Nate Collins, um, again, Nate Collins, uh, Southern Baptist went to, um, and even did some teaching assistant stuff at, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He does not obviously represent their views. I don't want to be misunderstood there, but certainly knows the culture of Southern Baptist life. His book, All But Invisible, I, I, <laughs> I did the hard work of reading that book and, you know, Nate's, Nate's a good writer, um, but his exegesis is terrible. His, his, his dealing with, with the scriptural text is, is terrible. And um, I just read an, an, a, a long form article that, that he wrote recently 
um, on this issue again, um, seeking to give help to pastors to to kind of advocate for for the views he espouses. And again, the exegesis is just not there. It's mm-hmm. he just does not deal well with the biblical text at all. And what you find is is this overemphasis on my story, yeah, um, my experience. And 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 the thing that occurred to me when I was reading his book, and then just the other day reading his article, was that these these folks um, in the um, the side B movement, and, and when we talk about side B, we mean those who call themselves gay Christians, but they're celibate because mm-hmm. they, you know, the, the side B, th- they use the same form of argument, if you like, as the side A who are quote, gay Christians who believe that it is appropriate to act out in, in homosexual behavior. They use the same approach to say, accept what I'm saying, which is here's my story. Here's my experience. This is what I have felt. Um, and that's, it's a terrible way, um, ultimately, to, um, uh, to deal with the truth, but it's very effective because when you, when you hear a man get up and, and stand up and talk about how much he's suffered you know, as a gay man, you know, it, it, it pulls on a lot of heartstrings. Yeah. Which was precisely the language a lot of these Catholic priests were using mm-hmm. in the, uh, yep. uh, I think it was the New York Times piece. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. If, I mean, Nate Collins' um, address at the Revoice Conference um, in, at Memorial PCA Church in St. Louis is available on YouTube, and you can you can watch it. And, and one of the things that's so disturbing is that Nate Collins is a married man, has children, um, and as he opens that address, he talks about how much he suffers as a gay man and how terribly lonely he is as a gay man. And I remember watching that and grieving for his wife and his children. Yeah, because they were never factored into his talk. That's that's without having read that. That sounds to me like disrespecting your family. Which I, is I never a good move yep, for a preacher. Yep. Yeah, I grieved for them because yeah. his his wife and his children were non factors in that talk. He just talked about his his suffering as a gay man, his loneliness as a gay man. I thought, brother, you're married and have children, you know. Mm-hmm. But but again, it goes to this. I, I've chosen to take this this disordered desire I have and make it ultimate in me. In fact, uh, Nate Collins would say that he will be quote gay in heaven. Mm. Um, that the, the essential properties of this identity are carried forward. Into well, if it's part of your identity, then I guess it's part of your eschatology as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, and, and so that, that's the path it takes. And so it has to be present in some way in the new creation. So, I mean, I would just say, you know, I mean, the the PCA has to deal with this. Um, There's a number of overtures for this year's General Assembly that are trying to to address issues of biblical sexuality and gender identity. And if you're a if you're a PCA layperson or a ruling elder, I hope that you'll be aware of of that. You really need to be aware of that because we 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 can't afford to do the wrong thing here. Does it make you nostalgic for the days with uh, Federal Vision Todd when uh, serious (laughs) theological issues were being debated? During the the biggest heat of that debate was going on, I was still a a happy Southern Baptist. You were a schwammer, weren't you? Yeah. (laughs) One of the hordes. I was still still out there among... Were you you pre- or post-trib rapture guy? Well, you know, you have to understand when you're when you're raised a conservative Southern Baptist, there's only pre-trib, and everybody yeah. else is a liberal. Mm-hmm. So, everybody else yeah. is a liberal. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're not so, a pre-trib man anymore, I hope. No, I am not. He's a liberal now. I'm a liberal now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Todd, how do you how do you see the Reformed Church and particularly the PCA as you're dealing with these issues within mm-hmm. your own denomination mm-hmm. uh, moving forward in a fruitful way here? Mm-hmm. Well, you know uh, what we have is uh, a, a deep disagreement, and there's going to there are teaching elders, there are pastors in um, in the PCA who just don't agree on this, and so as as one um, kind of leader in the progressive wing of the PCA put it recently, it's going to all come down to the votes. And, and he's right. He's right. Um, it's going to come down to the votes to, 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 to say, okay, um, here's, here's where we stand. This is what's acceptable at the PCA table, and this is what is not acceptable. I've heard from a lot of folks that are very um, disturbed. I've heard from lay people in PCA churches from, from around the country who are very disturbed by this, and I, I assure them that wheels are in motion. Presbyterian justice moves slowly, um, and, I, and I'm hoping for a right turn in, um, in dealing with this issue that, uh, that will do the right thing. Um, I'm not 100% confident that we will. Um, one of, the, one of the, the dreams of the Presbyterian Church in America was that it would be a bottom-up kind of denomination, a grassroots denomination, uh, because coming out of the liberal um, PCUS in the South before they merged with the PCUSA. But the more leftward a denomination drifts, the more top-down it becomes. Denominational officers and um, uh, committees get vested with a lot of power. And that's one of the ways that, that denominations turn left. And of course, the challenge with the PCA is we're such a large denomination that for the sake of, of pragmatics, Power gets invested in committees and denominational officers. And before you know it, committees who may not, you know, members of committees who sometimes do not represent the thinking of the majority of the laity become empowered to make big decisions and, and chain and, and, and really kind of determine the direction of a denomination. And, and that's going to have to be addressed. This goes to my theory of, of Presbyterianism that actually, it, I, I don't know exactly where to draw these limits, but I think geographically and numerically, mm-hmm. there is a limit beyond which if you pass in Presbyterianism, the form of government becomes uh, increasingly problematic. And as right. you said, Todd, tends to lead to the concentration of power on committees. And a big mistake a lot of people make is that they think that numbers equal power. Uh, that's not the case. There are right. at least two other factors there. There's the, there's the mentality of a denomination in terms of where does it look for its authority. Mm. And there's also the structural aspect. There's, as you said, uh, you know, a vote on a six guys on a committee can wield more power than a thousand people in the pew writing checks every week. Exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the key factor. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what had happened in the Southern Baptist Convention yeah. in the 40s, yeah. 50s, and 60s. Yeah. Is that here you had a denomination, the laity of which was overwhelmingly conservative. Yeah. But the denominational officers, the seminaries, and, and the uh, denominational agencies had become yeah. very liberal. Yeah. And so you had a minority of people uh, ruling the denomination, even though yeah. it was being paid for yeah. primarily by conservative laypersons. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I think the left always has an advantage as well, because they're interested in taking over those kind of things. Yes, yes. The, the, the conservatives generally have better things to do with yep. their time, or think they have better things right. to do with their time mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. sit in endless committee meetings and, and, and take votes. I- exactly. And, uh, and our, our progressive friends have, have learned this, and they, they've been very, very good at mobilizing. Yeah and moving us in that 
in that direction. I, I've, I've had I've had some very good dialogue, and I and I continue to have really good dialogue through through email with a number of well, a number several of the progressive guys in my denomination, and, and we've come to a point where we dialogue really well together, and we disagree, but but we we've had some fruit. Well, we've had some 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 respectful dialogue, and I've I and we've talked a lot about this issue. And one brother that I that I corresponded with is in a presbytery that recently. Uh, adopted a, a really excellent um, position paper on same-sex attraction, and it, it's one that I would have happily signed if mm-hmm. I had been in that presbytery. But he's also been very favorable towards Revoice, and I asked him. I said, "The positions of those two things are in complete contradiction to one another." I said, "How can you approve of both?" And he said, "Well, I just think they both belong." Mm-hmm. That's hard to combat that kind of thinking. To say at the PCA table, I think two voices contradicting each other on sexual same-sex attraction and gender both belong at our table. We're a big tent, man. Right, right. Well, you're a big tent. Between like the power behind a position <laughs> yeah. paper mm-hmm. in a presbytery and a parachurch event. I mean, right. these parachurch events and, and mm-hmm. publications and, and, mm-hmm. and all these things, you can't control that. Kind right. Of well, and, and the other there's thing, a lot of power in them. You better believe because there's so much influence. And the thing yeah. about the thing about our like study committee reports and position papers is that there's there's not constitutional authority to those, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless unless the General Assembly were to add them uh, to uh, to the Book of Church Order. You know, ours is a three ring binder that opens and closes, not like the OPCs. And um, uh, that's fatal too. <laughs> it can be. It can be. And um, and so even if even if a, a presbytery has a good position paper, you know, that presbytery can kind of say, hey, listen, if you're going to come into our presbytery, you need to agree with this. Uh, position paper, but but not necessarily. You know, it, it's just really hard. We we can say here's where we stand on this issue, but then tolerate pastors who actually disagree and teach um, contrary to it. So that goes on quite frequently as well. I want to say just one last thing, and that yeah. is the importance of you know just the local churches, you know, pastors and leaderships communicating well to their congregations. I mean, yes. our elders. We just had our pastor Francis. He just did a mini series on sexuality and gender mm-hmm. for, for the winter. And right. it was very helpful. And we even yeah. had a Sunday school class on um, how to talk to your children about mm-hmm. these at different ages and, and yeah. things like that. And yes. he's incorporated different people in the church with it as well. And it's been getting a lot of good feedback. Yeah, that's really good. And, and that's where we have to continue to keep turning our attention is, is, is the importance of, of leadership in the local churches. And to, to again, if, if the PCA is going to really be a grassroots denomination, uh, pastors need to, to be honest with their congregation about what is going on in the denomination. Right now, I encounter a lot of pressure from some of my more progressive friends to not say anything publicly about any of this stuff because, well, that's just not Presbyterian. Well, who says it's not Presbyterian? You know, we're, we're a grassroots denomination. The laity needs to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not Presbyterian on. to lobby behind the scenes. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's Presbyterian has nothing to do with what you can actually say in public on a public right. issue. Right. So, yeah. Well, we hope you found this uh, conversation helpful. Uh, just a reminder, we were talking about the Blue Ridge Bible Conference 2019, uh, titled Gender, Sexuality, and What It Means to Be Human. The speakers are Tim Geiger, Todd Pruitt, and myself, Carl Truman, uh, the bald and the beautiful. 
I leave it to you to discern uh, who is which or which is what. <laughs> um, for our premium this week, if you care to go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you get a chance to enter for a free registration for that conference. So please do visit our website. While you're there, consider making a donation. We are a donor-supported podcast. And all that remains for me is to thank you for listening and to say we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... You know, God has spoken the world into existence. He reveals himself everywhere. And so if God reveals himself everywhere, I should be able to find him everywhere uh, if I am looking through the lens of scripture. Um, so that was that's the kind of uh, basic point of the book is uh, you have all these opportunities at your fingertips every day to see God reflected in the world around you. Most of the time we're just too busy or too distracted uh, to notice it. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Amy, you're going to cue us up for this one? So I'll kick us off and I will introduce the conference and then maybe ask Todd what made you want to address this specific topic for your conference. Not enough misery in your life already, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) Hate hate mail dropping off, is it? Well, well, what I'm going to say is I'm going to say that, you know, given the confusion that Carl and Amy are sowing (laughs) in terms of their denial that there's any difference between men and women. I felt like it was on these issues. How, how come I'm being bracketed? I do not mind. understand how you're characterizing me. Uh, okay, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best. Uh oh. This is gonna be a train wreck. To not, to not mock Carl and Amy and their and their left wing liberalism um, on this. You have Carl speaking twice. <laughs> At your conference. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Can't take it. Amy, that's yeah. the whole thing, though. You can. The only reason you've lasted with us is that you're the only woman out there that can take this. I know. That's why I'm still waiting for this push-up competition. <laughs> um, hey, listen. You know, there's nothing masculine or feminine about push-ups. You know, that doesn't say anything about the me being a man. The problem with women was our weak arms. <laughs> it's one of the major issues with your species. <laughs> hey guys, I got work to get on. With that. Okay. <laughs> hey.